1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we've come to in our text this morning. And also you're going to be wanting to turn to several places in Acts. Acts 16, Acts 21, and Acts 17. Did you guys hear this story this week, just a few days old? This was in Berlin. A 43-year-old German decided to settle his imminent divorce by chainsawing a family home in two and making off with his half in a forklift truck. Police in the eastern town of Sonneberg said on Friday the trained mason measured the single-story summer house, which was some 26 feet long and 6 meters wide, before chainsawing through the wooden roof and walls. The man said he was just taking his due, said a policeman, but I don't think his wife was too pleased. After finishing the job, the man picked up his half with the forklift truck and drove to his brother's house where he had been staying. I would venture to guess that this divorce is final. (laughs) He said, look, I'm just taking my due. I'm just going to saw this half, and I'm going to take off with what's rightfully owed to me. What we have there is a physical picture of a spiritual truth. How many homes, I wonder, have been destroyed, have been ripped in half by one or two people just taking what is rightfully mine? How many relationships have been ripped and cut by the phrase, I demand my rights? How many churches have been split by that phrase? Paul, as we've come to chapter 9, has been talking about rights, specifically about giving up rights for your brother. This all started back in chapter 8. If you've been with us, you know. It started with a conversation, a question. By the way, Corinthians is, uh, was started by a group of these believers in Corinth uh, saying, I've got a question from Paul. Let's write this down. And uh, As you go through, you see he's answering very specific questions. In chapter 8, he answers this question, is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And we've seen this. I won't belabor the point, but the, the one phrase you want to remember in this is Paul starts out in chapter 8 by saying, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Look at chapter 8, verse 9. Just back up with me for a second. Chapter 8, verse 9 says, Paul says to these Corinthians, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, you have the right to eat this meat, let somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Then look down at verse 13. Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And then last Sunday we saw, as we started chapter 9, Paul sort of says, look, take me as an example. If you were here last Sunday, you remember, Paul says, look, I'm an apostle. I have the right of an apostle. I have the resume of an apostle. He says, I could demand to be supported by the church. And we saw, he says, logic says I have the right to be supported by the church. The law says I have the right to be supported by the church. Even the Lord says I have the right to be supported by you guys. But Paul says at the end of uh, the section we looked at last week, but love says to me, lay it all down. He says, I will decline my rights lest I make my brother stumble. See, just like today, Corinth was filled with, with shysters, people who would come in and say, hey, I want to have a word for the Lord from, from the Lord for you. And they would be trying to get people's money. Paul says, lest I make my brother stumble and think that I'm after money, I will decline my rights. Verse 12, look at verse 12 of chapter 9. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, Paul says, Nevertheless, we have not used this right, the right to be paid, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Last week we learned that word hinder actually means a cutting, as in a chainsaw. It really meant a cutting that was made in the road. You would cut a, a trench in the road behind you so that whoever was pursuing you could not catch you. So this word hinder means to cut a trench, to cut off a person's progress, to make a trench in the middle of a home or a relationship or a church. The point is, the thing we're going to be seeing over and over again until we get through the end of chapter 10 is that we have a choice. We can, as Christians, we can be bridge builders or we can be trench cutters. When we insist on our rights, Paul says, we cut a trench or we build a wall. We put up a stumbling block. That's what he's been saying over and over again. But when we lay down our rights, we build a bridge. Paul says, I am willingly laying down my rights for the sake of my brother. That brings us now where we are this morning. Chapter 9, verse 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. The word free there is ulotheros. don't know if I said that right. but What it means is not a slave. Paul says, I am not a slave to any man. It means to be free. That is either born free or set free. Now, if you know Paul, you know he was free in every sense of the word. He was born free. He was born a Roman citizen. And then he was born again and made free. And now he's a citizen of heaven. He was also set free. The Bible says that he was redeemed. He was bought back by the blood of Jesus. And when you know Paul, you know that he had a lot to be forgiven. See, Paul starts out today, this morning, by saying, look, I'm a debtor to no man. I don't owe anyone anything. Jesus has made me free. If you're a Christian this morning, I hope you are. If you're a Christian, you too are set free. You've been set free from sin, from religion, from a list of rules and regulations. And everyone in this room who's a Christian could truthfully say, I answer to no man, only Jesus. You could say, look, I can eat that meat sacrificed to idols. Not that you would probably do that today. But you could say, look, I can have that drink or go that place or assert that freedom, whatever it is. I could do these things. And that's what Paul says, verse 19 at the beginning. But notice he doesn't stop there. He says, verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. The word servant there is dulo. We've seen that word before. It's like the word dulos. It's to make a slave of, to reduce to bondage. It's from the root word to chain, to tie up. Paul says, look, though I am free, I don't owe anyone anything. I choose to tie myself up. I choose to restrict my own rights. I decline my own rights to save, to make myself a slave to all men that I might save some. What in the world, why in the world would a free man voluntary, voluntarily make himself a slave to all men? Well, he answers that. He says that I might win the more. The word win there is kerdineo. It means to gain, to acquire, to get, 
to gain. See, Paul is talking about here winning souls by serving them. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, you remember this? Jesus is speaking to everyone and he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What is it? What does it profit Bill Gates? Jesus wouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I mean, at the end of his life, what does that buy him? What would a man exchange for his soul? That's what Jesus said. The idea is, how does it help if you gain all the riches, but when you die, you've got nothing? Well, here, Paul sort of turns that on his head. He thinks this through and he says, wait a second. What if instead of trying to gain the whole world and losing my soul, what if I were to give up the world? If I were to give up everything in exchange for one soul, someone else's? Paul answers, what if I would exchange all that I have, all my rights, for one soul? That's what Paul's saying is, I will lay down my rights in this world to gain rewards in the next. Mark chapter 9, you don't have to turn there. Verse 33, this is a little scene. We drop in on Jesus and his disciples. They're walking to Capernaum. It says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he, that's Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed amongst yourself on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So they're walking along, and Jesus says, Hey, uh, what was it you guys were talking about back there on the way here? And it's like, Um, They had been talking about, well, I'm going to be the greatest. In the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to be like right there, Jesus' right-hand guy. In verse 35 of Mark 9, Jesus says these words that you guys know. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Jesus says, look, if you really want to be first in the kingdom, make yourself a servant to all. You guys get it? Paul reads these words. He says, look, I want to be that guy. I want to be that person. Paul takes Jesus at his word. Paul is, the title of the message this morning, in it to win it. He's like, I'm going to lay down everything I know how to, to become a servant of all. There's an application here right off the bat that has to do with soul winning. How do you witness? How do you win a soul? Well, Here's a great way. Though you are free, you don't owe anything to anyone, make yourself a slave to all. I mean, this week, when you see somebody at the store, make them them your surrogate master. In other words, what can I do for this person in the name of Jesus? Lord, what would you have me to do to serve this person as your ambassador? What can I give up? Of myself for this person in the name of the one who gave it up for me. The NIV of of verse 19 reads, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone that I might win as many as possible. Paul was in it to win it. Now, starting in verse 20, it's really important to remember that. It's important to remember the context of verse 20. The context is look, I'm willing to give up my rights. In favor of winning souls. Read with me now verse 20 through 22. And to the Jews I became as a Jew. 
that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, the reason I say it's really important to remember the context here is it's important to remember that Paul's goal was to save souls, to win souls for the kingdom, and he was willing to surrender his rights to do it. That's the context. It's important because if you don't know that context, if you don't know that context, when you go into verse 20, when you come out of verse 22, you end up thinking Paul says something like this. I am a chameleon for God, and you should be too. If you don't understand the context, you think that Paul is talking about changing your spots, turning into a chameleon. If you don't know the context, you look at this and it's like Paul is instituting the first worldwide church of the holy chameleon. I'm wondering, what, what would their motto be? We've saved a spot for you. Come to church, you'll blend right in. Let your troubles disappear. Feeling blue? Come to our church. Your friends will be green with envy. Okay, I'm done. Orange, you glad? Okay, now I'm done. Many churches today, they read these verses and they think that it says, look, we've got to change our message. We've got to change... Our message today, we've got to be hip, we've got to be cutting edge, and some will go so far in the worldwide church of the chameleon to leave out little details like hell and sin and the miracle that Jesus was born of a virgin and his resurrection and the idea, the truth that the Bible is inspired by God. It's infallible. See, my question is, If so many churches and so many Christians are spending their time trying to blend in, who will stand out? Who will stand out for God? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When you read that, do you see that as you? He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And he says, if you lose your saltiness, if you lose what makes you distinctive, if you lose your peculiarity... Some are more peculiar than others. If you lose that, which makes you different, he says, you lose your usefulness. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am not saying that we should be so different that it turns people off. That's one of the things that Paul is saying here. I'm not saying that you go and you say, look, hey, good to meet you. My name is Doug and you're going to hell. No, that's not a good idea. There is something to be said for changing your, adapting your method of delivery. We're going to see, Paul was willing to adapt his method of delivery, but he never changed his message of deliverance. He never changed the message. Matter of fact, go back with me, chapter 2. Let's go back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, when I walked into Corinth, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, here it is, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
It's like, that was my message, right? I will not change the message of deliverance. Maybe the method of delivery, but never the message of deliverance. Here's the deal. Paul was willing for the cross to offend. But he didn't want to add anything else to offend. We've talked about this before, but you guys know the, the gospel intrinsically as part of it, its very nature is offensive to people. Think about what the gospel says, especially the first half of the gospel. You are not good enough for God. You'll never be good enough for God. The gospel says you need a redeemer. And if you stop there, that's pretty offensive. Of course, it becomes a thing of beauty when you add these words. You'll never be good enough for God. I'll never be good enough for God. But God loved us anyway. He gave his only begotten son to die in your place. Yes, you need a redeemer. And Jesus volunteered to be that redeemer. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for you. See, the gospel in itself is offensive enough. We don't have to add to it by adding self-righteousness, which when you think about it is pretty absurd to be self-righteous when you're declaring that someone can't be righteous before God. So Paul is not advocating the change, changing the uh, message of deliverance, but he is talking some about adapting the method of delivery. Specifically, again, the context, giving up your rights to win a soul. Now we're actually going to have a little outline as we look at these verses, you're going to see there's four categories that Paul's talking about here. You notice he's talking about the Jews. He's talking about those under the law. This is in verse 20, 21. He's talking about those without the law. And he's talking about those who are weak. Now, there's some discussion, debate about who these groups are. Here's what I think. You can take it or leave it. I think when he's talking about the Jews, he's talking about unsaved Jews. When he walks into a town and he sees all the people that were just like he was years ago, that know the Old Testament, but they don't know the, the Messiah that they're looking for. I think when he's talking about those under the law, I think he's talking about Jews who have been saved, but they're still hanging on to all of the, uh, the laws and the traditions of the Old Testament. When he talks about those without the law, I think he's talking about Gentiles, you and me. Before we came to, to know Jesus, we pretty much didn't have any rules. I mean, we kind of knew, well, there's these rules, but we didn't have anything to live by. And then he says, to those who are weak, I think he's talking about Gentiles, those who are saved but have come out of idolatry. Okay, let's start. Verse 20, we're going to see some examples of how Paul adapted by giving up his rights in each of these cases. Verse 20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. Now, there's many examples of this. Almost every time Paul walked into a, a city, the first thing he would do was head to the synagogue. That's where the Jews are. That's where my countrymen are. The Jews would always get first shot at the gospel. And Paul had a great uh, point of contact with them. It was the Old Testament. Hey, these guys know the Old Testament. And the Old Testament all over the place is talking about Jesus. He would reason to them out of the scriptures. He would use the Old Testament, what they knew, to build a bridge. Right? To Jesus. These guys already were good Jews. They already knew the Old Testament. But here there's a great example of Paul giving up his rights 
to win the Jews. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Now we begin our journey through the book of Acts here. We've covered the book of Acts the last year or so. So you might remember this. I hope so. There's an example of Paul giving up his rights, and it turns out Timothy's rights, in Acts chapter 16. Verse 1 says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. Stop there. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He has come back to Derby and Lystra. He'd already been there years before, set up a church. When he comes back, he meets young Timothy, teenager. He's got a great reputation, it says here. He was a real good kid. Paul looks at him and says, this guy would be an awesome soldier for the kingdom of God. There's only one problem. His mother is Jewish. That's good. But his father was Greek. And his father got to decide if he was circumcised or not. So Timothy, as Paul walks in, sees this guy, says, he'd be a great soldier for the kingdom of God. Timothy is not circumcised. Now, Paul is trying to reach the Jews. Circumcision is a huge deal for these guys. If anyone were to find out that Timothy is uncircumcised, that's it. The trench is cut. They would not listen any longer knowing that Timothy was uncircumcised. His un- uncircumcision would cause a certain schism, a great divide, this trench between Paul and his audience. So Paul has a couple choices. What am I going to do here? He could leave Timothy at home. He says, well, he would have been a great soldier, but I guess not. And Timothy would have never been used by God. Or he could bring Timothy along, and every time he came to the Jews say, I don't care what you Jews say. Circumcision is nothing. And cut the schism, right? Cut the trench. Or he could talk with Timothy about a third option. Verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation? Hey, Timothy, I got an idea. You what? You probably heard the story about the hen and the pig. The hen says to the pig, look, the the, the farmer's been so great to us. I really want to do something special for him. Let's give him a nice bacon and egg breakfast. The the, The pig says, well, that's for you. It's a nice gesture. For me, it's a full commitment. That's what's going on here. Paul's like, I got an idea. And somehow he has to talk Timothy into this. But, you know, he did. Paul convinced him. And he probably said, look, here's, there's a certain amount of discomfort here. What are the eternal benefits for this temporary pain? Paul convinced Timothy, and Timothy literally, at great personal discomfort to himself, became a Jew, that he might win the Jews. Verse 20 of, uh, actually, don't turn there yet, because we're going we're gonna, to uh, stay here. But this says in First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. Maybe it should read, I made Timothy a Jew. But Paul and Timothy gave up their rights to win souls. And look at verse 5 there in chapter 16. Acts 16, verse 5, you see the results. 
It, that's exactly what happened. They won souls. So the church was were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That's what happened because Timothy and Paul were willing to give up their rights. Okay, now you can turn back just briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Paul's talking about the Jews who have become saved but are still under the law. Circumcision is still a very big deal to them. Uh, Eating certain foods are still a very big deal to them. Paul says, look, when I come to a situation where I see, wow, there's a lot of Jews here, but they are still under the law. Paul says, I don't flaunt my rights in front of them. But he wasn't under the law. We know that. We, we studied Galatians chapter We studied Galatians. In chapter 5, verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul wasn't under the law, but Paul says, there have been times when I've given up my rights and I've acted as though I was under the law that I might win souls. Turn with me to Acts 21. We see a place where Paul acted under the law that he might win those under the law. Acts 21 starts in verse 17, we'll say. And when he had come to Jerusalem, that's Paul. Paul came to Jerusalem. The brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Translate, under the law still. Verse 21, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. There was a rumor going around that Paul was saying to the Jews that were in Corinth, hey, you don't need to worry about that. But it it wasn't true. But look at verse 22. It says, but what then? The, The assembly must certainly meet for they will hear that you have come. Let me translate for you. Try to condense it. Paul Paul walks in, gives a great report, comes to the council there in Jerusalem, and they're like, look, Paul, it's great that things are going so well with the Gentiles, but we have a problem. We have a big problem. Many Jewish believers are still zealous for the law. They are under the law. And these Jews have heard a rumor that you are teaching Jews in other lands to forsake the law. He says, look, they're going to find out that you're in town, and then we're going to have a big problem. Look at verse 23. 23, They propose a a solution. Therefore, Paul, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. That all may know that these things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. But that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. It's talking about a Nazarite vow here. They're like, Paul, we thought of a solution. There's this storm brewing. Well, there's a way that you can calm this storm. This Nazarite vow, only really zealous Jews take this Nazarite vow. So they're saying, Paul, will you do this for us? Will you calm this storm by taking this Nazarite vow? Well, right then, Paul had a choice. Paul could have said, you guys are such legalists. What do I care what you guys think? The problem is theirs. It's not mine. He could have said, I don't care what they think. And what would the result have been? Even though Paul would have been right, his accusers 
would never have listened to him again. He would not have gained his brother. He would have cut the trench. He would have lost them. And over what? Not the cross. Paul was willing to offend people for the cross. This was about the hair on his head, some change in his pocket, and spending some time at the temple. He could say, no, I demand my rights. I don't have to pay a cent. I don't have to spend any time in the temple. I don't have to hang out with these guys. Or he could give up his rights, make himself a slave to those who are under the law, that he might win them. Then he might still have an audience with them. Well, what choice did he make? Look at verse 26. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. See, in Acts 21, Paul was dealing with those who were under the law, and he sacrificed his own rights. He became as one who was under the law. Why? So that he could win those under the law the law. Actually, this brings up a good point. I I know it's sleepy. Try to stay with me. Clearly here, I think Paul is not just talking about unbelievers. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'll give up my rights to win a soul, an unbeliever. But how many times do we insist on our rights when it comes to the believer? Maybe you're pretty good at giving up your rights for unbelievers, but not so good at giving up your rights to believers. See, for the sake of the legalist, Paul gave up his hair, his money, his time so that he wouldn't cut this trench between he and them. Look with me now at verse 21. Verse 21 says, to those who are without law as without law. Then he has to put in this parenthesis, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Starts to get a little hard to follow there, but what he's saying is, he, he puts in this parentheses because he wants us to make sure and know that he's not saying, look, I can do whatever I want. He's saying, I'm not lawless in that parentheses. He's not, I'm not without law toward God, but I'm under the law toward Christ. Paul said in Galatians, he who walks by the Spirit is no longer under the law. Let me put it this way. The Christian life is not about a list of rules. We know that, right? It's about listening. It's about listening to Jesus as you walk with him. So Paul says, look, I'm not a, a renegade, a rebel out there doing whatever I want. I just don't happen to have to follow this, this list of rules. So that being understood, look at verse 21. Well, let's leave out now the uh, parentheses. That will help us to understand. To those who are without law, I became as without law, that I might win those who are without law. Now, what, who in the world is he talking about here? I believe unsaved Gentiles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Keep working hard. Just stay with me here. Acts chapter 17, we come to, Paul comes to Athens. Now, you you may remember, Athens was different than any other city that Paul had been in. Normally, Paul would go right to the synagogue and he would preach to the Jews. He would use the Old Testament as as his jumping off spot. Well, Paul gets to Athens. There's no synagogue anywhere. But there's like 1,300 gods. There are idols everywhere. There were, it was literally said that there were more gods than people in Athens. These guys were superstitious. They had no Old Testament to reason with. So what's Paul going to do? 
Well, the thing they loved was philosophy. Look with me at Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul finds himself, he has no way to build a bridge with these guys through the Old Testament. So he says, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, this was a place where they loved to just uh, philosophize. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They so didn't want to leave anybody out that they said, okay, well, here's uh, God will call to the unknown God, so he won't be mad. Paul says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And then he launches into his uh, preaching about Jesus. So what did Paul give up? Remember, the context is I gave up stuff. I gave up stuff to, to bring people into the kingdom, right? To win souls. What did Paul give up in Athens? It was this, his knowledge of the Old Testament. All of the stuff that he learned growing up from, a, from when he was a boy. He had this amazing wealth of knowledge in the Old Testament, but he never said a word of it. Here's the point. This is a real application for you guys right now. Just because you know something out of the Bible doesn't mean that that person needs to hear it. Just because you know a lot of stuff out of the Bible doesn't mean that person needs to know everything that you know about the Bible. What I'm getting at is the person that you meet next week, the person you meet tomorrow, what do they need to know out of the Bible for their circumstance? They don't need to know all these facts that you know just to impress them. What do they need to know about their circumstances? In other words, how can I get these guys, the person that I meet tomorrow, how can I get them from where they are to where Jesus is. I mean, where they are is their marriage is in shambles. Their finances are a wreck. They've just been told they have cancer. Or maybe things are going great for the people you'll meet tomorrow. But they're still not happy. How do I get them from where they are to Jesus? How do I build that bridge? How can I get them to realize that Jesus is the unknown God to them? And you're thinking, well, how do I do that? Start by listening. So much of witnessing starts with listening. I mean, first, listen to the Holy Spirit. But second, listen to the person you're witnessing to. Listen to what they're saying, what they're going through. See, what Paul gave up in Athens was his great Old Testament knowledge, his whole head filled with facts, and he met them where they were. He's like, well, they like philosophy, Let me try that. (laughs) Now we know Paul had pretty much mixed results in Athens. But what I want to point out to you and what Paul is saying here is look at his heart. His heart is this. He didn't go into the Areopagus. Everybody else who went into the Areopagus, the reason they went in was to win. They went to win the argument. Paul said, I'm not going in to win the argument. I am going in to win souls. How about you? Are you one who always wins the argument? Could it be you should be winning the soul? Paul was willing to give up his personal comfort for the Jews. He's willing to give up his hair. He's willing to give up his money. He's willing to give up his time for those under the law. He's willing to give up his great smarts for those who have no idea what the Bible's about. And verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, Paul was also willing to give this up. He says, to the weak I became as weak 
that I might win the weak. Now, if you've been with us, you know when Paul uses the word weak, he's talking about those who've been saved out of idolatry. In Corinth, there were, just like Athens, it was only 40, 40 miles away from Athens. There were false gods everywhere. And people were being saved, but they were still dealing with this whole idea. How could you eat that? That was sacrificed to idols. Paul was willing to give up certain rights for those who had come out of this idolatry. Paul did this, we saw in chapter 8. He was willing to give up his rights for the weak, those weak in conscience. See, this whole section that we're looking at this morning got started because some people were eating meat. They were eating meat out behind the temple, meat that had been sacrificed to idols. It was good meat. It was cheap. It was reasonable. It was the best meat. And they had a good logical reason. Their knowledge said, look, these gods aren't even real. But others who had come out of that idolatry, idolatry were scandalized. They had a stumbling block put in front of them. They had a trench cut in front of them. See, they were in danger not of losing their salvation, but of losing their way. I know people, Christians, who aren't in danger of losing their salvation. But if I don't act a certain way, they could lose their way. Therefore, Paul says, if eating meat... If I insist on eating meat and it will make my brother stumble, I won't ever eat meat again. See, this is all about giving up his personal rights to seek and to save that which was lost, to win souls. See, that's what Paul means in these verses. That's what he means when he comes to the end of verse 22. Look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He's not talking about changing his message or his morality. He's talking about curtailing his own rights in every unique situation as it comes, not for the sake of himself, but notice verse 23, now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul was in it to win it, to win souls. We're going to see next week when you guys are more awake, we're going to see continuing on at the end of this chapter. Paul says, rather than gain the whole world and lose my soul, what if I give up the world to gain others' souls? So here's a very direct question. Are you willing to give up your rights to gain a soul? Let me ask you, if I were invited to speak, let's say I got an invitation to speak at the local synagogue, should I walk in eating a ham sandwich? No, not smart. I mean, I could, that's my right but I would lose my audience. I was also thinking, you know, there's places in the world where after you eat, you're supposed to burp, right? I think we should take a mission trip to those places. (laughs) Right? Then I could finally, all the guys are like, yes, let's go there. No, but truly, you could say, look, it's my right to maintain my decorum. I won't do that. And you'll truly lose your audience. Or vice versa, if they were to come here, then they would have to say, okay, either I'm going to not burp after this meal and lose my audience or keep my audience or I'll I'll go ahead and burp and I'll lose them. Let me give you some practical examples and reasons why I'm proud of this church. On Wednesday, some of the teenagers gave up their time to make little signs that we put on water bottles on Thursday. On Thursday, some people came to the Church of the Nazarene and gave up time and put 
these water bottles together. The church gave up the cost of the water bottles, and we came over here to this place at the YMCA, and we handed out these water bottles that said, Jesus said, I am the living water. You drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you, uh, if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. And I personally gave up my right to not be embarrassed when I handed somebody free water and they turned me down. Yesterday, some of you, a good number for a church the size that we have, gave up your time, your Saturday, to serve up in Lake Mac for the people that are dealing with a tornado. See, these are the things that people notice when you give up stuff for them. But there is one more thing I want you to point out. I want to point out to you so you won't be surprised. Notice at the end of that, he says, I have become all things, this is verse 22, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save, what? Some. That's kind of a downer. I have given up all things to all men by all means save some. Paul, Paul gave up his comfort, Timothy's comfort, and they gained many in that area. But later on, Paul gave up his hair, his money, his time in Jerusalem. And what was happened? He got thrown in jail. And then Paul gave up his Old Testament knowledge in Athens. There was no church started there. It was only a few people that came to know Jesus. Paul gave up his right to eat meat. And that helped some people. But it didn't help. It didn't save all people. I gave up all things at all times, in all ways, but you've got to realize, you've got to understand, you can't be discouraged when you just have some respond. We call Paul the Johnny Appleseed of the New Testament. Right? He scattered seed everywhere, and only some of it produced fruit. That's no surprise. Jesus said it would be that way. He gave the parable. He said, like, the seeds go everywhere, but it only falls on good ground occasionally, sometimes. The point is, our job is just to toss the seed. Our job is just to give up our rights to become slaves to everybody we meet if we can and to let Jesus worry about the increase. To give up all our rights whenever we can, hoping that some will take notice. And they will. And we will win souls. So, let me ask you, as we close, are you in it to win it?